1: Those of us who teach and write about the Civil War for a living strive to be dispassionate and driven by evidence, but we have our own emotional connections to the subject about which we write, and we even have families. This week, we talk with one of the most prolific and best-known Civil War historians of our time, Gary Gallagher, who has edited, co-edited with Matthew Gallman... A uniquely personal book of essays by other prominent historians, illustrated by a professional photographer who is also Professor Gallagher's son. The book is called Civil War Places Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of Its Leading Historians, and we'll discuss it tonight on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no
0: o-w-i-c-z-g at e-c-u dot e-d-u. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Well, welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from our usual location on the third floor of the Brewster Building, on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university or any of its Components speaking only for myself, as my guest will also do tonight, as we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. It is a beautiful evening in the middle of May 2019. The uh, sun is still out as we begin the show. It is warm, but not too warm. The classes are done for the spring semester, and the summer term is just starting, but nobody's really on campus much today. The uh, baseball team is back from its last road trip. They have just won the American Athletic Conference for 2019 and are getting ready for the NCAA tournament. They're in the top eight nationally. All as well uh, with the, the team and with the campus. Uh, it, it's good time to be here. Things look nice. Well, I wanted to start out by sending uh, first heartfelt thanks to uh, to you, the Civil War talk radio listening community. Uh, uh, For those of you who sent some very touching and and very much appreciated messages after last week's show, uh, in which I mentioned the passing of the number one fan of Civil War talk radio for the last uh, 15 or 16 years, how long has it been? Uh, My mother, who uh, passed away on uh, May 5th of 2019, and uh, i Deeply appreciate the the, the kind sentiments uh, so many of you sent. Thank you for that. This past week, uh, Monday, the 13th, two days ago, I hope you were not coming to Raleigh, North Carolina for the Civil War Roundtable meeting at which I was supposed to speak because that meeting was canceled at the last moment. Uh, Apparently there was a small fire in the parking deck of the North Carolina Museum of History it must have been very small because I've not been able to find any news reporting about it, it certainly didn't damage any artifacts or exhibits or anything in the building but it, there was enough smoke that they closed the building they wouldn't let the roundtable folks in <clears throat> so I drove uh, I didn't find out about it till I got to Raleigh it's about a 90 minute drive from where I live in Greenville. The good news was that the hosts had generously offered to take me out to dinner before the show that often happens at these roundtable meetings but I have long since learned that eating a hearty meal before giving a, a a talk is not a good practice for for listeners it just means you'll fall asleep while I'm talking but that could happen anyway but for the speaker it's just it's just not a good idea digestively speaking uh so normally I go to these dinners, but I don't really eat very much. This time I got there and said, welcome, your show's canceled. We're not having a, a meeting tonight, but you can still have dinner with us. So I got to have a really nice dinner uh, at their expense, and, and I thanked them for that. And also some very pleasant conversation and an invitation to return sometime, which I hope will be sooner rather than later. And hope you can come out and hear it, and, uh, and we won't be canceled If you can't do that, you can always hear the next Civil War Talk radio show. It won't be next week. I'll be off on the annual This Hallowed Ground tour with Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours. Cannot wait for that. Uh, If you're going on the tour, I'll see you on Saturday. If not, uh, look to sign up next year and come and join us. I'll be back uh, with you, however, on May 29th. Uh, Dave Silkanat will be the guest. He has a new book called Raising the White Flag, How Surrender Defined the American Civil War. That promises to be an interesting and uh, relatively untouched topic. So we'll be talking with uh, him, a return guest to the show, on the 29th. Then uh, no live shows on either June 5th, 12th, or 19th. On the 5th and the 12th, I will be in Europe leading a battlefield tour commemorating the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Not part of the American Civil War, but I've convinced uh, some people who perhaps should know better that I know something, know enough about it to lead a tour. So it gets me uh, a nice trip and a chance to meet some interesting people and see some fascinating sites. On the 19th, I'll be back in the United States, but attending the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College, I urge you to do the same if you haven't signed up already. Lots of people will be there. Our guest tonight, Gary Gallagher, will be there, Ed Ayers, Peter Carmichael, uh, Amy Taylor, Steve Barry, Aaron Sheehan-Dean, Carol Reardon. These are all people who've been on the show and will be at Civil War Institute. Dennis Fry, Joan Cashin, Jason Phillips, uh, Jim Brumall hasn't been on yet, but he'll be on next year, and, and he'll be there. Lots of people. Uh, Try to make your way to Gettysburg College for that uh, annual event. Then we'll have our last show of the 1819 season on June 26. The season will be over, but as author Nina Silber reminds us, this war ain't over. Fighting the Civil War in New Deal America. That's the name of her new book, and we'll talk about the echoes of the Civil War in the 1930s. So lots going on. You can find out always from impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney is keeping that website up, keeping the Facebook page by the same name up, uh, putting the shows up, links up afterwards. So check that out. While you're there, feel free to click on the PayPal button and donate to the Civil War Talk Radio book and bourbon and uh, dark chocolate candy fund, whatever it is I'm in the mood for this week. Uh, it's not a charity. There's no tax deduction. It's just uh, a way of showing appreciation for the show and uh, incidentally helping defray some of the expenses that that, that Mark Gaffney has with his website. Uh, so consider that. It will be a busy summer. We won't have any shows from June 26th until the end of August. Uh, I will be teaching an online class during that time, however, U.S. History since 1877. I've never taught online before. Perhaps Professor Gallagher has. He can give me some tips in a few moments. Uh, But right now I'm mystified. How do you grade students in a way that they cannot easily cheat? How do you manipulate them? How do you psychologically manipulate them into doing more work and getting excited about history the way I like to do face to face in ways that they're not even aware of? I don't see how I can do that over a computer screen Maybe there's a way. We'll see. So lots going on uh, in in weeks coming up and months coming up. uh, In September, the Civil War Roundtable Congress meets, I think it's the third time they've done this, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Look that up online and go there. Tonight, however, we talk about other places, specifically Civil War places, the name of a book subtitled Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of Its Leading Historians, it's edited by Gary W. Gallagher and J. Matthew Gallman. Uh, Gary Gallagher is with us tonight. He needs, I said this the last time he was on, he needs no introduction. Uh, he didn't last time, I think it was 2008, and certainly doesn't now. Uh, Gary, are you there? I am. It's good to be with you, Jerry. Uh, good good to talk with you as well. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's really been way too long since you've been on, uh, so it's, it's good to have while. you here. <phone rings> Nope. There goes Around the old-fashioned old style, I have to hang it up real quick. Um, that would be one of my brothers calling long distances. We, we try to organize things. Oh, he, you won't go away. There we go. I think I've got him off now. Um so the uh, book, Civil War Places, Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of its Leading Historians, is like no other book in the field, as far as I can tell. It is a uh, 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 a book of photographs of places of the Civil War, each with an essay by someone listeners have already heard of, almost certainly, someone who's written about the Civil War um uh, and, and who uh, tells us why they chose this particular place. So let me start with a basic question. How did you get the idea to do this kind of book?
3: Well, the idea really began with an earlier book that Matt Gallman and I co-edited, and I know that he talked about it on, on your show. It was called Lens of War, mm-hmm. uh, a book in, for which we asked a number of, of prominent historians to select one photograph from the war and write about it why they thought it was important, what directions thinking about it took them in, and so forth. Uh, And it was a book that turned out well and and did well. And as Matt and I talked about possible other projects, we settled on on this one, which is having another group of very prominent historians select one place that really means something to them from the Civil War landscape, and it could be a structure, it could be a battlefield, it could be a cemetery— could be any place, but one place, select that place, and then write 10 pages about it, about why the place is important to them, why it might be important to other people. And once they had selected their places, we commissioned my son, who's a professional photographer in Austin, Texas, to go around the country and photograph these places. So there's a, a full-page black-and-white image of each of the places that precedes the essays. Now, I first we, saw. We invited book. people to be oh, as personal ahead. as they wanted to be, Jerry. We, mm-hmm. we we gave them no rules basically. If they wanted to come at it uh, with a scholarly bent, they could. But we we actually encouraged them to be very personal uh, in their essays, and a number of them really were. In fact, beyond some of them, beyond what what we imagined.
1: Well, it it is, as I said, a unique book, and uh, the the blurbs on the back. You know, we all glance at the blurbs on the back of books we get to see who wrote them. We don't bother reading the blurb because what are they going to say? This book isn't very good. Um, they're always positive, but James McPherson says this is uh, um, uh, of all the hundreds of Civil War books I've read over the years, this one is now one of my favorites. Uh, it really is different uh, in in its personal connection does it does it risk breaking the fourth wall with the reader in a way that historians maybe should not do? Well it does risk
3: that I'm not sure historians shouldn't do that but I agree with you that there's nothing else I don't know of anything else even remotely like this book uh, particularly I mean there have been some very personal books uh, individual books that historians have written. But this mm-hmm. one is a group of, as you said earlier, a group of people that your listeners almost all would recognize. I that probably would recognize virtually every one of them here. Uh, they are, they're that prominent. And we mm-hmm. were, we were pleased that they would take the time to do this. They certainly didn't make any money from it. They did it because <laughs> they, they thought it was a good project. And it would, and they really got in the spirit of it. I mean, even Drew Faust, who was then president of Harvard, Drew said, "This is the only thing she'd written since she'd been president of Harvard. She took the time to write this." Um, So we we were very, and no one turned us down. Incidentally, we we didn't have anyone turn us down. We and Jim Mm -hmm. McPherson was originally going to be in the book. We even took the my son even took the photograph for Jim's site. In the end, Jim couldn't do it. Uh, it was, which is the only reason he could write a blurb for it. Uh, he, it was kind of hard coming up with people to write blurbs, because everybody's in the book that you would normally ask to write a blurb.
1: It, it's true. I, I look looking. It looks like there's 26 names, and at least 20 of them have have appeared on Civil War Talk Radio, and our listeners have heard them. Really? <laughs> uh, uh, and, wow. and the others, just because we haven't gotten around to them yet, but. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, right. It, it's absolutely a who's who of, of people currently writing in the field, and it it is, uh, you know, strikingly personal. A kind of of places that they chose to write about. So uh, you anticipated one of my questions, which was, uh, were there people you asked who who didn't want to do it? Uh, uh, well, yes, you asked me how, how did you come up with this list? Well, we, it was tough coming up with the
3: list because it's, I mean, we had our original list from Lens of War. We didn't go back to a number of people who were in that book. And we added, there are several in this book who couldn't uh, take part in Lens of War because of other commitments. Uh, all of them came into this book. Uh, So that's one way that we, I mean, we tried to, we tried to get people who have different approaches to the war, who are at different points in their careers, and we wanted very different voices in this book, and we got that. That's something that we hoped we would get, and we absolutely did. We also got a, a, a very wide range of types of places, which Matt and I then grouped uh, sometimes, I mean, it, the, the groupings make sense for the most part, but there are some that, that could have been in other categories. We have battle. there's a battlefield section and a cemetery section, a memorial section, then some that just have buildings, houses, the... Um, Catherine Clinton did the, the room that Lincoln died in, in the Peterson House, uh, in that section. It's a very wide range of kinds
1: of places... It, it is that, and I, I took the advice given in the introduction, literally, where it says uh, we believe this book lends itself to sampling rather than to reading from the first right. essay through the last. Yeah. And every week I read the book from first to last to make sure I have some questions. And this week I, I followed that advice. I opened it randomly, read an essay, opened it to another page, read another essay, and just jumped around and... It worked anyway. I mean, it, it, it's very uh, powerful stuff. Let me ask you a question, and then we'll take a break so you can think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And this is probably like asking who, which, uh, which of a parent's children are the favorite. Uh, so, which which is your favorite essay? Which is the best essay? Uh, I'll let you think about that impossible question for a minute. We'll come back and talk more with our guest tonight, Gary Gallagher. He's the co-editor of Civil War Places seeing the conflict through the eyes of its leading historians. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: America, Variety Channel.
0: All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said. the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu That's P R O K O P O W I C Z G at ecu.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Gary Gallagher, who edited, along with J. Matthew Gallman, the book Civil War Places, Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of Its Leading Historians. It is a remarkable book of photographs of places, some of them iconic, some of them obscure, uh, and each photograph is accompanied by an essay uh, by a Civil War historian, uh, someone you've probably heard of. Um, I will read you the list right quick here so that we're all on the same page. We've got Ed Ayers, Steve Barry, uh, Bill Blair, David Blight, Pete Carmichael, Francis Clark, Catherine Clinton, Stephen Cushman, Stephen Engel, Drew Faust, our guest tonight, Gary Gallagher, his son Will Gallagher, who took the photographs, uh, Matt Gallman, Sarah Gardner, Judy Giesberg, Leslie Gordon, Will Green, uh, Carrie Janey, Jacqueline Jones, Harry Kellman, James Martin, Carol Reardon, Aaron Sheehan Dean, Brenda Stevenson, Elizabeth Varon, and Joan Waugh. So uh, listeners, these are people you've heard on the show for the most part, and each of them chose a specific place, uh, broadly defined, to write about. So Gary, I, I threatened to ask you which is your favorite essay, and I know that's not fair. But, you didn't just uh, threaten, you did ask me. <laughs> I did. I went and did it. Uh, so, so how do you get out of that question?
3: I don't even. I'm not even going to try and get out of it because I I do have some. I, I I don't think that there is an essay in the in the book that doesn't work, but there's some that I like more than others. And I'll, before I I go down that road, I'll say that what I mean the great joy for me in working on this book, as you might imagine, is that I got to work with my son on it, and he yes. and I had. I didn't go to all the sites with him, but he and I got to spend a great deal of time together going to. I I got to go with him to about a dozen of the sites. He went to the others by himself. But it that was I just loved that, and I like his thoughts about taking these pictures uh, in the back of the book. But in terms of the of the other essays, I think that Sarah Gardner's essay is just remarkable. I think it's the most intensely personal of all of them. Now she talks it's she talks about the cave. Cave life of people at Vicksburg, and I'm not going to say what's in the essay. I'm just going to say that I really, I was really moved by, by hers and what she did with that. Uh, Brenda Stevenson's on the on the Emancipation Oak, in Hampton, it's amazing tree there, and what that means to so many people. Uh, I loved Will Green's essay on Camp Allegheny. Uh, Will and I went there many years ago uh, in our battlefield preservation work. And it's so remote, and it's still so remote, so far from anything. It's really a quite amazing place. And Will and I drove out there one afternoon. It's still hard to get there and to make your way around it when you're there. But I think Will did a wonderful job of evoking the feeling of being in that place up on a hilltop, barely in western Virginia, as many of your audience would know, just over the line from Virginia. I thought that Judy Giesberg's essay on the Lincoln Memorial pulled off the quite amazing uh, feat of writing something that's both fresh and re- it's, I, I love to go to the Lincoln Memorial. I think almost everyone does Judy's the right. essay perfectly captures why people like to go to the Washington, or, excuse me, to the Lincoln Memorial. It's really, really well done, really well done. There are little details in them. Jerry Joan Waugh for years. She teaches at UCLA, and she does. She incorporated into her class a tour of the Big National Cemetery over on Wilshire, which has more than eleven thousand Union dead buried there. It, she'd been doing this for several years when she found out via her brother, who got interested in genealogy, that she has a great great grandfather buried in that with the union dead in that cemetery it was in the second Minnesota. She had never known that. And the way she talks about that and the way she talks about how her first generation U S, uh, citizen students respond to that is, it's just amazing how moved they are to be in that cemetery with all of the union dead there. I'm, I'm not going to go on and on there. Are, there are, I think there's something in almost every essay that will resonate with people who are drawn to the Civil War. A number of them talk about how these places helped get them interested in the Civil War. Carol Reardon is really good Mm -hmm. in that regard. Uh, She talks about the, excuse me, she talks about going as a little girl to this great old building in Pittsburgh, the Soldiers and Sailors uh, Memorial in Pittsburgh, and, and how important that was to her and how it pulled her into the Civil War.
1: The, the uh, one of the themes that runs through a number of these essays, that, that including some you just mentioned, was how people use them as teaching tools. Because of course, the, the people writing this uh, as are, are either university historians or public historians. They they teach uh, either in classrooms or, or through the Park Service or museums, and they. They use these sites. Uh, you gave the example of Joan Wad taking her class to see uh, a cemetery, and I'll, I'll say I didn't know there were eleven thousand Civil War veterans buried in Los Angeles. Eleven thousand, uh, uh, yes, Union ve- yes,
3: eleven thousand Union
1: veterans, yes. yes. I, I had no idea till I read this, and uh, I, I would guess many listeners would not have guessed that either. But uh, and of course, there, there are people who, who, after the war, survived and migrated west, and then. Sure, Those that's who they different. are. They, they weren't living out here. They came. They ended no. up
3: out here after the war. There's a there's a statue. The photograph that precedes Jones' essay is a statue, a, a little monument to Union. Uh, that's a Union soldier. That, that the cemetery, until just a few years ago, interpreted as a Revolutionary War soldier. They didn't even know it was a Civil War soldier.
1: Really? <laughs> wow!
3: Right when you walk it, in the it, cemetery. It,
1: uh, there was. Uh, I want to ask you about the, the essay by uh, Peter Carmichael, who uh, talks about Culp's Hill. Uh, uh, he, of course, teaches at Gettysburg College and runs the Civil War right. Institute now, uh, succeeding Gabor Borat in that role. And he writes about a little grave site uh, uh, on Culp's Hill. And as I was reading his essay, I thought, I've that's a familiar name the uh, uh, Futch brothers of North Carolina and then i remembered, of yes. course they he writes about them extensively in his recent book on the the common soldier in the civil war they are which... they are key characters in the war for the common soldier yes they are now you you edited or or you were the series director for for that book if i'm not mistaken is that correct yes, That's in the little that's in the little field
3: series and, and P- Peter was my third doctoral student at Penn State Oh yeah i mean the third one who finished with me at Penn State mm-hmm. He and i go way back he uses he he definitely uses that site as his essay makes clear to get at all kinds of themes relating to common soldiers during the Civil War. It's just off the paved road. No one would ever notice it if you didn't go there with someone who knew what they were looking for, Mm -hmm. although it's been turned into a kind of shrine, as Peter talks about in his essay, and people leave little Confederate flags there now. The day that he, that Peter and my son went there to take the pictures, Will got a picture. For some reason, the sun filtered through the trees and hit and, and illuminated one of the flags when they were there. Uh, it was uh, anyway. It is uh it's it, it's an interesting it's an interesting sight and Peter makes great use of it as a teaching tool.
1: It, it, now he does. I I to, while I've got you here, just uh, Peter was on the show in December. And we talked mm-hmm. about his, his book. And he said that the, the uh, I don't know, he didn't never use the word contentious, but he, he made it clear that uh, his vision for the book uh, was not entirely that of the editors of the series and that there was a, uh, a some creative process that went on between uh, everyone. Uh, well, that's, were uh, you that's happy a rare with how, how it all came mm-hmm. out? Well, a rare bit of. Understatement
3: on Peter's part. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'm being he, diplomatic. I mean <laughs> yes, yeah, you 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 are being diplomatic. No, we went around and around with that book, and Peter had a vision for it, and we had a vision for what the books in the Littlefield series were supposed to do, and we weren't sure the visions intersected in that many places. In the end, both sides gave a little bit, and um, and Peter. I mean, I, I, the last thing I would ever want ever want to do as an editor. I've edited lots of books in my life. Uh, you have a book in a series that I edited. That's uh, right. It's, it's, I don't want everybody to write my book, and Peter's <laughs> book is certainly not my book. I think it's a book that does what he wanted to do, and I think it's a book that speaks to our times in many ways and where the literature is is now. And I think it's been, I think it's been successful and I hope it continues to be successful. But, but yes, he, we, we had, we had different ideas about what some parts of it. My, my, the main thing that I wanted Peter to do from my perspective is just be a little more upfront about what he was doing. And he said, I didn't understand what he was doing. And I said, well, yes, we both <laughs> knew I did understand what he was doing. And he just, anyway, we're very close. And we went back and forth. I think he's happy with the book. And I think the book has done well, and I'm happy to have it in the Littlefield series.
1: I, I certainly enjoyed reading it. I thought, thought it was very stimulating, and it did, uh, you know, break the mold somewhat. And that that's always a good thing to do. Uh, so that also brings me to another question I, I thought of asking up front, but this is a good time to filter it in. Uh, As you point out, you've edited many books. You've also written many books over a a distinguished career. You've also uh, mentored many graduate students who have gone on to become successful historians. Uh, So so which means more to a a historian who – I guess you're theoretically retired, but you seem to be doing more than ever – um, I
3: am. I don't have to go to departmental meetings anymore. That's what being <laughs> retired means to me. <laughs>
1: Excellent. That's, that sounds great.
3: <laughs> it does sound great, doesn't it? No, It really does. You, all parts of that. I've been very fortunate in my career, Jerry, because I've had many different elements to it, including a fairly serious battlefield preservation one for a number of years yes. in the late 80s and, and through the 90s. But I, I, I won't pretend that I'm not happy that Peter runs the Civil War Center at, at Gettysburg College, and another of my mm-hmm. students replaced me, runs the NOW Center at, at the University of Virginia, and another one is going to take over for Bill Blair at Penn State.
1: I kind of like that. <laughs> They're everywhere. You, uh, you and the deep roots in the field. Um, I shouldn't be so ignorant. Who's taking over at Penn State? Rachel, Rachel Shapiro is. Rachel oh, Sheldon,
3: excellent. excuse me. I still went by her by before she got married. Yes, she's moving from Oklahoma to Penn State.
1: Okay. It, you it
3: was Sheldon,
1: you said, was the name? Yes, uh huh. You should have her on your program. She'd do a great job. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. The sound was breaking up, so I missed it. it but she wrote the Washington Brotherhood book. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. Okay, yep. yeah, she yep. was on and she was great, and it's a great book. I really, uh, I, I, she's working on teaching. the Supreme Court, the, the
3: politics in the Supreme Court in the antebellum years now. Well, well that how needs politicized, to be done. How politicized the court was.
1: That, that would be timely and, uh, and important. And, and I know at. Absolutely. Uh, at, at Virginia, uh, Professor Janey is taking over, and she's been on, she was just on this year. Uh, not for the first time. So, uh, again, you have many, uh, many roots now but the, spreading. The, the, the editing, it, I mean, Sybil, your
3: your book was in Civil War America, and that's a series I spent about 20 years with at UNC. The, the 115 <laughs> books came out under my editorship there. And I, that is a, and I read all of them at least once and wrote reports <laughs> on every one of them. I wasn't a kind of distant editor. I was a, an actual editor, series editor, that, I, I'm extremely proud of that. A lot of the first books in certain areas are are in that series. First big book on children, Jim Martin's book. I'm, I'm not going to go right. through the list. Lots of them. And excellent books such as yours. And it's a nice mix of senior scholars and first books. There are a lot of very good first books in that series. But also... George Rabel is in the series and other senior scholars as well. That was took a lot of time. It was certainly worth doing, I think, and the series continues to thrive. I've been away from it now for a while, but I have a few books that are grandfathered in. I I edited Will Green's recent Petersburg book.
1: Yes, as and he was on that the show series. in January, I think. And he's got more than one in that series. Right? Are you going to continue working with, with him on those? Yes, I'm, I, all of his will be with me.
3: That was part of the Excellent. deal. And the same with Glenn Robertson's on Chickamauga. Those were grab-
1: grandfathered in with me
3: as well, and a now, few did, others.
1: If you have a word with him, um, he is scheduled to be on this show in August, and he's been sort of Reticent in email. I, I, I think the idea of a podcast interview sounds, I don't know, just, just strange or something. Uh, so if you get a word Will with Green. him sometime, let 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 him know you've done the show and it's 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 a safe well, thing to do.
3: You no, know, no, I think Will is very. Uh, he's very relaxed. He used to be at, at. He used to run a radio show for Pete's sake.
1: Well, there you go. He, then, was a, I don't know what he, he said he didn't have a good radio voice, and I don't agree. Or maybe it was a telephone voice. But Well, but we'll that's get him not on. true. He does have a good uh, radio voice, and, and cool. his voice was on radio,
3: and he tells a great story about it. When they found out they were going to be fired, they, they decided on their last night of, of broadcasting <laughs> to announce that the show was changing to an all polka format.
1: <laughs> polka, polka, polka. <laughs> that is wonderful. Which didn't well, please the didn't please the owners. <laughs> I, I can imagine not. I wonder why. We'll take another <laughs> short break now. We'll come back talk more with our guest Gary Gallagher. He is the co-editor, along with Matt Gallman, of the book Civil War Places: Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of Its Leading Historians. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs>
0: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: Attention, if you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity
0: K O P O W I C Z G at ECU.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
1: And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with Gary Gallagher, who co edited, along with J. Matthew Gallman, the new book Civil War Places. Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of its Leading Historians. Gary, I need to ask you about your essay in the book. Uh, you wrote about Charlottesville, Virginia and its memorial landscape. What, why did you choose that? And What do you mean by memorial landscape?
3: Well, that wasn't my first choice. I initially was going to write about something out in the part of the world where I grew up in the West. I was going to write about the monument in the plaza in Santa Fe which went up in 18... It's one of the oldest Civil War monuments in the country. went up in 1866, Um mm-hmm. uh, Then I... When uh, Ari Kelman agreed to come on board and write about Sand Creek, then I thought I would do something else. I was going to write about the, the first main heavy artillery monument at Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And Will even took pictures of that. But in the end, because of all that has gone on in Charlottesville, Matt and I talked about it, and I thought about it, and decided that I should write something about Charlottesville. And I didn't I didn't wade into the middle of the, didn't recount all of the current controversies. I talk about them some, but what I do is talk about the Confederate Memorial landscape in Charlottesville and the way I've used it as a teaching tool over 20 years of teaching it at UVA, and try to complicate the so much of the discussion about Confederate monuments treats them all exactly the same way and the impetus for all of them is the same and which of course isn't true. And so I talk about the, the five principal Confederate monuments in in Charlottesville. When they went up, who who pushed to put them up and how we and how I have used them
1: as teaching tools. So the uh, I mean the controversy is an inescapable part of that story, of course that 's what uh... oh absolutely yes yes
3: so um... and that 's the only reason i wrote that 's the only reason I wrote the essays i mean my i my personal view about mm-hmm. this landscape is that it 's a historical resource, and just as printed resources are or illustrative photographs or prints. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be very wary of just pulling down memorial landscapes. I'm in favor of adding new interpretation. I'm in favor of of erecting monuments to previously neglected groups and events. I'm entirely in favor of that, but I am not in favor of pulling down uh, every monument that has any connection to the Confederacy. And its uh, I know that's becoming an increasingly unpopular position, but I haven't really changed it. But on the other hand, I believe these are local issues. I think the people in Charlottesville should get to decide whether or not these monuments stay up. I don't think people from out of state should, they don't have, they shouldn't have a say in this. And Charlottesville had a real process. They had a commission they set up and they took all kinds of testimony. I talked to them for an hour and a half. One day I was scheduled for 15 minutes and ended up mm-hmm. talking for an hour and a half. And in the end, they recommended, Leaving them up, reinterpreting them, and putting new ones, but uh, but the city council voted otherwise, and then the and then events just kind of over, overtook overtook them. So I mean, I understand what's going on there. I wish that we would. I'm. I. I, I, It's. It's a tough issue. It almost never happens. it's very extremely tough issue. It really is yeah, it it, and, it is and diff- but that's why i that is why I wrote about that in the in the book it wasn't my it wasn't my first choice it wasn't even my second choice it's my third choice
1: well but it's an important issue and and one that uh, you know as you say people can disagree on i think uh I don't think you'll find many listeners to this show. Taking the position that all Confederate monuments should come down, uh, but I think you'll certainly find varieties of argument from. Oh, uh, absolutely! From, I,
3: I'm just I'm weary of the argument that these are all just um, that they're put up to intimidate African Americans. That they don't. You don't need, and I've have t- actually talked with a number. Of of African-American historian friends about this. You don't need a monument. You have the whole structure of the law to intimidate people in the Jim Crow South. You don't need a statue to intimidate people. You have the police, the local police, the state police, the courts. The whole system is set up to intimidate black people. And the... the. The people in the audience at these things—they were certainly white supremacists by our views. Virtually all white people in the country were white supremacists by our views. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that's the only reason that these monuments went up. The the the, the early the first three in Charlottesville are actually they're they monuments to dead soldiers. That's what they are. The Lee and Jackson statues are different. They went up much later. There, I see very little difference between the Confederate monuments that kind of Confederate monument and all the little monuments you see all over England uh, to to the lost generation of young men from World War one They're actually monuments to this generation of soldiers that are gone. Doesn't mean the people who put them up aren't white supremacists, but that's not the main impetus,
1: I don't think, for that kind of monument. No, I, th- I think that's a very reasonable argument. And you can, As you mentioned in your essay, you can go back and look at what the What speeches were made at the time, what the publicity was at the time, what they talked about. We've got one here in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, uh, that that I find problematic in that partly it's on the courthouse steps, not in a uh, commemorative place, but in a site of power. And it's labeled to our Confederate dead. But Pitt County contributed just as many men to the Union cause as the Confederate cause in eastern North Carolina. And this only commemorates half of them. Which does seem, I've said it's like if they put up a monument after World War II that said, to our Democratic soldiers who fought against Hitler, the Republican soldiers would be pretty upset. I would have, but one of the things that that we did at the
3: NOW Center Mm -hmm. at UVA, which we established in 2015, our our first real project there was identifying uh, black men from Albemarle County, Virginia, who ended up in USCT units during the war. Mm -hmm. Because there wasn't any actual recruiting in Albemarle County, the old number was none. But by going through the the muster rolls and different kinds of records in the archives, we've identified more than
1: 250 men from Albemarle
3: County who fought in a range of USCT units. I would put a monument to them up in Charlottesville. That's one of the things I would do. Uh, but that 's equivalent of what you 're talking about there are there exactly are, and we 're also trying to identify the University of Virginia students who fought for the union and we 've come up that's a that 's a little bit I mean almost all the UVA guys fought for the confederacy but we 're right. approaching a hundred who fought for the hmm. union now <laughs> you
1: know, that ties in with um uh, Drew Faust's essay on Memorial Hall at Harvard, uh, which, well, as I remind listeners continuously, is where I got my graduate degree. The uh, <laughs> the, the, it's the such uh, an amazing place. The, <laughs> the, the, the Memorial the, Hall, I mean. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a remarkable place. Uh, but as she points out in, in her essay, there's there's been an ongoing argument for for a century over whether it should also include uh, uh, Harvard's Confederate alumni, of whom there were many. right? And, uh, and, and of course it shouldn't.
3: <laughs> that well, I agree with you. I, for that.
1: I don't think it should, personally. <laughs> I, it was the first time I openly disagreed with uh, David Donald, my mentor, uh, back in the 1980s, and he thought, oh, okay, it's time it for from compromise. And I, I said, no, the, the, the charter is very clear what this building is for. Uh, it, it is it, for the a, men who gave their lives for the union. That's what it's exactly. for. It, it's
3: it's not for Confederates. It's I, I also wouldn't put any Confederates in Arlington. Uh, it's yeah. I mean there are there are lines to draw. Princeton, of course, takes the opposite. Princeton has both Confederate and Union Princetonians uh, mm-hmm. memorialized there, but. No, Drew and I talked. We talked about that over wine one night, and this mm-hmm. continuing effort to do that. I, I, I do hope they hold the line on that. That Memorial Hall is, has a very specific reason for existing. And yeah, and completely with you on the that. that. Families, families of the names who are up in there would not, I think, want Confederates. I don't know.
1: Hard. To no, say. I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. It has a very clear purpose. The charter is clear, and uh, your solution for, for Charlottesville could be applied in reverse. There have a separate monument for Confederate alumni of the university, but but the original building has its own purpose. I, I want to go back to well, – uh, you, you made a brief comment about your son's uh, – not only his, his wonderful photographs in the book, but that he he writes uh, some paragraphs about these photographs from his perspective as a professional photographer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, right. I really enjoyed that because, you know, it, it, it's always interesting to see uh, uh, someone who's good at their craft uh, that I don't know anything about. I couldn't take a picture; uh, save no, my life. And to read I his, mean, he his, will his, really. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, just to read his descriptions he, of how he did these and and what they mean was fascinating. Right. He loved working with Steve
3: Berry because, as he said, Steve had the clearest vision of what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And 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 when when Steve saw the image, he said Will got exactly what he wanted, and Will uh, and so obviously they had a real meeting of the minds there. That the others just uh, a number of people had a, kind of an idea of what they wanted. Will said Steve really had an idea of what he wanted, and yeah,
1: that's a picture
3: of the interior
1: Will, of Shiloh Church. Uh, yes, it's the very it's first just one. It's the lead a haunting image.
3: It is. It is a haunting image. It is, I uh, it is it is The with just the light, the kind of light that Steve wanted coming in through the doorway and through the
1: window. And anyway, it's it's a it's a great image. Great image. The uh, I was fascinated. The the uh, you mentioned right off the top about the Peterson House and Catherine Clinton's essay, uh-huh. and in in uh, in Will Gallagher's comments, he points out that he had to do a a small bit of very careful photoshopping to remove the National Park Service uh, uh, signage and barriers that are in that room. Yeah, he did. So that we can see it as it looked. Uh, But you would never know if he hadn't said that. Never would know it. There's a
3: huge plexiglass barrier that, that separates the bed from. I'm old enough to remember when there wasn't a barrier. You could actually go put your hand on the on the on the bedclothes, but it's there wow. now. And we'll tell you no one would ever know that he took it out. It's he spent a lot of, a lot of time on this one, and, and I think the result is again it's a, it's another it's haunting. Uh, Catherine then, was very happy with the picture,
1: as well. She should be. Then he put in a photograph uh, that doesn't accompany an essay. It's uh, of the tunnel that leads to the crater in yes, Petersburg. Yes, yes,
3: we told him he could have one that we didn't pick, and he he has a very funny comment about that in his comments. There's a he took that picture. I've looked inside that I don't know fifty times over the years. More than right. that, I never saw the image of the soldier in there, which came out in his photograph, and he made a funny comment about it. It was nice to see something I didn't know about a battlefield.
1: Um, but that, I had never noticed that, never noticed it. No, I mean, you have to really take a powerful flashlight to, to see that painting at the end of the tunnel or halfway down the tunnel, but, uh, but with the photograph, I had never seen it. (laughs) I had never seen it. And that's why we'll pick that one for his photograph well it it is uh, one of many excellent photographs i want to say when i first got this book unc press sent me the galley and it was in paperback and i looked at it and said this is really interesting and really attractive uh i'll, I'll definitely have to get get this uh to be a show topic but when they sent me the final version the the hardback version with everything printed mm-hmm. so nicely it's just strikingly beautiful uh It is. I'm. I. I think it's. I think
3: it's a very handsome book. Uh, I love the jacket on it. I mean, and they wanted an iconic image for the jacket, and so nothing more iconic than Burnside's Bridge. I don't think. But they put the Emancipation Oak on on the back. Is one of the smaller pictures on the back
1: of the jacket, Mm -hmm. and the McLean House. I, I like both of those pictures a great deal too. Well, it it is a wonderful book to look at and to get some insight into what uh, historians feel as well as think about the Civil War. Gary, unfortunately we're out of time, but I just have time to tell listeners, uh, if, you're, if you if you want to read one really interesting and really beautiful book, uh, it's called the Civil War Places, Seeing the Conflict Through the Eyes of Its Leading Historians, uh, co-edited by Matt Gallman and by our guest tonight, Gary Gallagher. Gary, thank you so much for being on Civil War Talk Radio. Delighted to be with you, Jerry. Thanks for inviting me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.